0: Welcome to episode 52 of Sporting Max. This episode is brought to you by The Missing Link, connecting you and your business with the biggest stars in the world through events and experiences. Please welcome number 52. You would have seen him on TV, heard him on the radio, AFL commentary teams around the country. He's the chairman of Jam TV. Please welcome sports media superstar, Mr. Eddie Maguire. And here's your host, Max Becker.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Sporting, Max. But today we're joined by Fox footy commentator and sports media giant, Eddie Maguire. Welcome to the podcast, Eddie. It's an absolute honour and an absolute privilege to have you on. How are you going at the moment?
0: I'm going well, Max. It's an honour and a privilege to be with you at the start of your career, mate. Uh, I started when I was your age, and mm-hmm. I hope that you have as much fun and success as I've been able to have over the years. So hopefully uh, in 20 years' time, I'll be able to say... Uh-huh. Becca, he interviewed me one
1: day. <laughs> um, thanks, Ed. Now, growing up, I believe, and am aware that you had a very strong family. Can you tell me about growing up and your family and a bit about um, where your family's from?
0: Well, I grew up uh, in Broadmeadows. Um, mm-hmm. My parents came out after the war. Um, they bounced around between England, Scotland and Ireland for a number of years, had two kids over there, realised there was really no hope. Um, mm-hmm. as <laughs> Concerned. it was really tough in those days after the war um, and in Scotland in particular it wasn't great if you were a Catholic They mm-hmm. wouldn't give you a job and uh, anyway my mum decided her brothers came out to Australia and were had a building business that they started and uh, they just said this is a great place to come out so they came mm-hmm. out with two kids and uh, a year later they landed in a house in Broadmeadows and six years later I was born <laughs> was an Aussie, Aussie member of our family and then I mm-hmm. got so we lived out in Broadmeadows and, yeah, look, it was it was tough at times because money was tight and uh, everyone worked in the factories out there. My, my mum worked in factories and uh, mm-hmm. my dad worked for the border Works and he just uh, dedicated, both of them dedicated their life to us and uh, mm-hmm. it was a real opportunity. And what we were always about then was uh, they believed that Australia was the land of milk and honey. <laughs> so when that sunshine was on your back, you felt like you were a foot taller than what you actually were and it was a great opportunity. So... For them to come out and have a house one day to the year mm-hmm. after they got on a boat in England to come to Australia was like a miracle compared to mm-hmm. life after the war in rations and things in Scotland, Ireland and England. So, so they loved Australia and we had this uh, great attitude that was imbued by them in us mm-hmm. that anything was possible in this amazing land. and uh, So we just thought it was an adventure from that moment on and every everything we did was a, a competition and... Uh, <laughs> Trying to have a go at whether it was playing sport or studying or whatever, playing music, mm-hmm. everything was on, and they gave you they gave you trophies if you did well. It was fantastic.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, what sports did you play growing up?
0: I played every sport I could. Uh, mm-hmm. Football, my main go. Played cricket in the summer, uh, tennis, squash, athletics, mm-hmm. Gaelic. Wow. <laughs> uh, everything that was going. I was in the brass mm-hmm. band school. I did theatre. Um, you mm-hmm. know, anything that was happening, I wanted to be a part of it. And I just uh, thought from a very young age, if there was fun to be had, that was me. I was going to be involved mm-hmm. in it. And uh, I always thought that uh, in the smorgasbord of life, mm-hmm. uh, I was going to be there and I was going to fill my plate and have a go at everything I possibly could.
1: How do you rate yourself as a footy player?
0: I was I was a good uh, junior player. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I used to win the best and fairest most years and things like that. So that that was a great thing for me because mm-hmm. it actually – a sense of self-worth mm-hmm. um you know I won a scholarship at Christian Brothers College in St Kilda and when mm-hmm. I went there you know, to me it was like going into the big league and uh, being able to win the best and fairest in year seven it, mm-hmm. it-, <laughs> yeah, it does it sounds funny now but when I was in year yeah. seven and for me though it was uh, it was really important to me my brother had won a scholarship and he mm-hmm. too sort of each age group he played in and for me it was it was actually a, a it was really important to me because I was playing against big schools. It's one thing, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, junior footy at Brodie, uh, which was a good competition, by the way. But um, when I went out to CBC St Kilda, I was playing against Salle and St Bedes and St Joe's North Melbourne,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Aid, and all these big schools who were big to mm-hmm. me. Anyway. And uh, it, it gave me a sense of confidence that mm-hmm. suddenly I've got to mix it, I thought, in my own big league. Mm-hmm. <laughs> CBC St Kilda is not that big now, but at the time it was. So they're important little stepping stones, you know. It's not mm-hmm. about being too far down the track. Take the wins as they come. Just keep accumulating the wins and set yourself up. Set goals for yourself. And mm-hmm. for me, it was a really important thing. So, yeah, junior footy to me was the most important thing probably in my life, to be honest.
1: Mm. <laughs> what was that like for you and your brother to earn a scholarship um, to go to a great school?
0: Yeah, well, for me, it was everything. Um, in grade uh, five and grade six, where I had to really study for it, I had some wonderful teachers in grade six. Uh, mm-hmm. an old called uh, Sister Matthew, who became a great friend over the years, and she was wonderful. I mean, my my mum had been sick at that stage, so things were pretty tight, and mm-hmm. the economy wasn't great, and yeah, there was there was a lot of uh, a lot of issues at the time. And uh, at one stage, it didn't look like I'd be even able, able to go to the local school. and When wow. uh, the uh, the winner scholarship was everything. So for me, it was as when I opened the, the letter and I won the scholarship, was probably, I, I describe it as getting Willy Wonka's golden ticket to life. Mm. <laughs> from so when, moment, from that moment on, it was up to me. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I got the scholarship, I got the, the chance of a lifetime, and from there, it was up to me to make it work.
1: At what age did you sort of get like what? At what age and when did your um sort of did journalism sort of spark your interest?
0: Well, I mean, it's funny, as a, as a little boy, I remember as a four-year-old coming mm-hmm. out and imitating uh, the Graham Kennedy show. So there's a bit of show business in there, I suppose, in my head always. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't until my brother uh, received the cadetship at the at the Herald when I was in about grade five, I think it was grade mm-hmm. four or grade five, that suddenly this became something that was an option, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, living out in Broadmeadows. yeah. You know, <laughs> So there's a more chance of me being in Hollywood than there was anywhere else. And, mm-hmm. and Hollywood was like Hollywood for me as well. So these things just seemed to be happening elsewhere. And mm-hmm. really mind. Suddenly, when my brother got this job at the Herald, I like, hello, there's a whole new world. <laughs> when I went to CBC, I'd catch the train past the Herald building every day. So I always mm-hmm. thought that I'd uh, be a news re- newspaper reporter first up. And then as it turned out, I was working for the newspapers when I was 13. Mm-hmm. and Australian Associated Press. So then that opened up and it was only when uh, I was in year 12, I applied everywhere and it was the first year they didn't take any kids out of school. Mm-hmm. And I got a job on a country newspaper. I set the exam at the age and they gave me a job that was going to start in July in the new financial year. And uh, out of nowhere, and I'll never forget, I remember where it I was. I was at home on a Friday night and the phone rang, no answering machines and no, <laughs> phone, no mobile phones. And for some fluke, Friday nights was always a night that uh, I stayed back at school for either band practice or something else that was mm-hmm. always on, or you might even catch up with your friends on a Friday night on the way home. Mm. Anyway, for whatever reason, I got home and the house was empty, which was also unusual. Mm. <laughs> and uh, the phone mm-hmm. rang David Johnson, the news from Channel 10. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, uh, can I speak to Frank, my brother? And I thought I was trying to find Frank yep. for a story going on. And then I said, no, he's not home. He said, oh. Is Eddie there, I said, it oh, is Eddie? He said, oh, <laughs> After, and I said, Oh, hi, hello, Mr. Johnson. And he'd interviewed mm-hmm. me two weeks earlier when I went out, wow. I'd applied and I got in for an interview. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, Oh, well, we really like you and we'd like you to come and start work um, on Saturday week if that works. Now, mm-hmm. as it turned out, I was working the home and away season for the Herald, and I finished at the Herald because the finals went to the senior people, mm-hmm. um, and I finished on the, the Saturday. And the following Saturday, I started at Channel 10, so I didn't miss a week. And uh, that was it. That was the start of my television career as a 17-year-old, mm-hmm. going at 10 in September 1982.
1: Um, can you expand on your time um, as an AFL statistician and cricket
0: reporter? Yeah. Well, again, that was lucky. My brother, they needed a what was called a phone man in those days. Literally, mm-hmm. he carried the phone and plugged it into the wall because mm-hmm. what you do on the Herald, there used to be a paper called the Herald that came out in the afternoons, and on a Saturday, you'd dictate the match report as it went, which was my brother's job. Mm-hmm. And he needed a statistician, which was me, and it was only basic stats, but it was basically his assistant. Carry the phone, mm-hmm. make sure it was working. And then mm-hmm. because uh, he was pretty young and I was pretty young, what we used to do is he'd be filing his copy to a woman at the other end who'd be typing the, uh, uh, all, the, all the words to go on, into the paper. Mm-hmm. And I'd run down into the rooms and get the injuries and reports. Now. Most of the people who were doing my job were retired guys who were getting a bit of beer mm-hmm. money. And were, <laughs> I didn't really care. They just went down. But I, I thought this was the most exciting thing of all time, going into mm-hmm. the rooms, of VFL it was, but AFL yep. team, all the senior players. So I'd run down and, you know, I'd learned how to watch the see. I knew which players had been injured. Mm-hmm. So then the, the Herald used to keep the paper open for me to come back and I'd start to file my own copy. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that all started. and then. And that, once the footy season finished, they said, "Oh, we need AAP, Australian Associated Press, we need a district cricket reporter." Brother mm-hmm. um, interested. Now they didn't realise I was thirteen at that stage; they <laughs> a bit older. And yeah. I you know, my brother's suit, and uh, yeah. And it was funny because i play footy on a Saturday morning, and sometimes I would go into the rooms. I see, you can smell the liniment today. <laughs> 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 It was Me with my brother's suit over the top of it with dirty knees, but uh, mm-hmm. then uh, what happened? I'd do the district cricket reporting, and there were a couple of stories that I was able to get that went onto the front page of the paper. Mm-hmm. And uh, a couple of years later, I got invited to the award ceremony, the Jack Ryder Medal, which was for the, the, the Brownlow Medal of Cricket for district cricket. And mm-hmm. um, they found out how, how young I was, and instead of giving me the boot, they said, Oh, this is great, and they actually promoted me, and uh, I was able wow. to come international games I covered England versus Victoria mm-hmm. MG, in the members in the press mm-hmm. box sitting alongside Henry Blofeld from England mm-hmm. and all the greats of international cricket writing at that stage and and I was a 15 year old boy and they took me in for lunch <laughs> you know and it was great gave me a beer and uh, <laughs> my initiation and it started from there and that's yeah so that's how it all happened
1: how did that feel to be a
0: 15 year old experiencing these sort of big things uh, it was unbelievable. You know, I mm-hmm. was going home, and still I was still sharing a, a, a very small bedroom in a concrete commission house in Broadmeadows, mm-hmm. and then living this other world experience. You know, I'm sitting next mm-hmm. to, as I said, you know, not only the the greats of of journalism, but mm-hmm. former does you know, Richie Benno came in, Bill Laurie came in, um, wow. you know, they, all yeah. these people coming in, and suddenly you're, you're in amongst it all, and mm-hmm. they were very good to me. Like they, as I said, they, they took me to lunch. You know, I brought my sandwiches. And they said, no, they mm-hmm. no, come here. And, and, and they, they accepted me as a young kid, and, and I listened to every word that they were saying, watched everybody, and then read the papers the next day to see what they wrote about the day, mm-hmm. whether, you know, then suddenly I think, oh, jeez, I had something they didn't see or <laughs> or whatever. And, uh, you know, and, and from that moment on, you really felt a part of it. So, yeah, it, it opened up. I think journalism gives you an eyewitness account to the world. It gives you a ringside mm-hmm. seat to history. And uh you know it didn't matter who I was or where I was, I was representing the Herald or Australian Associated press and in Channel Ten, mm-hmm. and as re- that I had the right to ask questions of prime ministers, sports stars, mm-hmm. businessmen, everybody and suddenly you're you're there you're you know you're holding the microphone in front of the the biggest names of the day and mm-hmm. uh, it's a privilege, and it's also a responsibility to not uh, you know to make sure you report accurately mm-hmm. and and oh, it was great it was, uh, it was an adventure
1: so what does um sort of being able to report accurately mean to you because obviously you know you muck up in sports media and everyone's all over it
0: yeah well it's, they get away with it a lot more than they used to once upon a time if you've got something wrong yeah you know, you'd pay for it you know probably with your job um, mm-hmm. there's a lot more opinion people just say what they think and there's blogs and you know mm-hmm. they're on twitter and all the rest of it like that so there's a there's a lot more people just saying things with no basis in truth or fact, and in yeah. fact, the days when you actually do a story that is based in fact, people attack you because it's not their opinion. Yeah. Then um, you you know later on down the track, you you know you're justified in what you're saying, but it can be a long, it can be a long journey. I remember you know saying at one stage that uh, uh, on uh, Triple M's Hot Breakfast that uh, uh, Tom Scully was going to go to um, to uh, he went to uh, to he was leaving Melbourne to go to GWS. Mm-hmm. Oh, and they went berserk, and I was president of comedy. <laughs> you, you're sabotaging. Yeah, i well, just mm-hmm. let's see what happens. And and of course the story was right. I wouldn't have gone with it unless I knew it hundred mm-hmm. percent. And uh, and that's what happens now. I remember saying the same thing about Mick Malthus. Get, get We'll we'll go to Carlton. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. you're throwing rocks at Carlton, and you you know you're filthy at Mick No, no, I knew the story. And mm-hmm. the, and, uh, and, of course, was was vindicated down the track. But it's important. Um, mm-hmm. People can go with opinions and all the rest of it, but the essence of being a journalist is to get your facts right.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, now, you transferred to Nine in 1993. Um, what intrigued you about crossing over um, to another network?
0: Well, Channel 10 at that stage was going broke, and mm-hmm. uh, we had started a show, we being Steve Quartermain and I, uh, we used to doing that we were doing the news. We had a show called Sports Night, which wrote mm-hmm. it really well. And I kept pitching this idea for a, a footy show type of thing. And anyway, that wasn't getting. Anywhere. In the meantime, Channel Seven and Channel Nine have offered me jobs over the journey to come and work in their newsrooms and things. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to leave Channel Ten because they gave me my start. So I was, mm-hmm. I was very loyal to them. And in the end, the 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 uh, the uh, managing director of Channel Ten in Melbourne, mm-hmm. to get offered a job. Seriously consider it because mm-hmm. we're going to into cost cutting here and I think your career is going to be better off maybe if you take the next job if it's a good one which Mm. was a shock to me because always they wanted me to stay so Mm. um, the newsroom asked me to stay anyway Ian Johnson at Channel 9 came to me and we bounced around a few ideas and he liked the idea of this thing called the footy show and Mm. uh, so for me to go I was was sort of getting to the end of a lifetime of just being in a newsroom I'd set in my mind that if I was 29 or 30 and still just, you know, reporting in a newsroom that I mm-hmm. do something else, I'm going to be a stockbroker or I'm going to get a law degree or do something. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't want to be, you know, in a newsroom all my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then people do that. I mean, Tony Jones and Steve Quartermain are doing, they were my contemporaries, so my mm-hmm. uh, teammates and opponents at various stages. Um, and it's very competitive industry. But in my mind, I just thought I wanted to do something else. I didn't want to get trapped there. And then the opportunity to do television shows and I'd started uh, hosting things like the Uncle Toby's Iron Man event mm-hmm. show with quarters for sports night and I, th- I started to think actually I-, I like this I like hosting mm-hmm. I like coming up with ideas and I wanted to do other things and I always enjoyed what uh, people like Bert Newton who would and Graham Kennedy and these guys who did radio mm-hmm. and television and then yeah Richard's who would write in the paper and call the footy and then host the show and you know, it was a mm. at the same time and Bill Collins and Mike Williamson who'd call a footy in the afternoon and then host a show called The Penthouse Club, which was a mm-hmm. variety show on Channel 7 at night time. And I loved that idea. That is quite- great. <laughs> yeah. So then the opportunity came and, uh, you know, we started the footy show and no one thought it would, we got six weeks. They thought it would last six mm-hmm. weeks. And it went 25 years. So yeah, <laughs> the difference. And, and that, but that that that, uh, that was huge when we came to Channel 9. Channel 9 was the, was the 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 biggest Mm. thing in television by that far, Kerry Packer owned it. All the stars were there. And suddenly you walk into Channel 9 and they used to put your photo up on the wall. Mm. And I was in and there's my photo on the wall at Channel 9. Wow. A long way from... That's that's when you know you made it big time. That's when I knew that I I was having a shot at the big time. Not that Mm. I made it. Yeah. This was my shot. So the pressure goes on and you go, right, okay, this is it. Because... Mm. Just as my photo went up, someone's came off the wall. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) the wall. You either got on and stayed or you got on and came off uh, pretty quickly. So uh, we got stuck in it. Thankfully, you know, then my whole life opened up. The footy show was unbelievable. And then Mm. I started Triple M Football so I could call a footy. I I remember a job at Channel 7 and they said, well, you either come here if you want to call football or you don't get to call a footy. So I thought, oh, there might be another way of doing this. Mm. So I started Triple M Footy and... (laughs) <laughs> had my own thing, and then, uh, then of course, the footage exploded. And then, a couple of years mm-hmm. later, things I was hosting the Grand Prix and the Commonwealth Games, and then who wants to be a millionaire? Mm-hmm. Then, it then exploded into hosting everything from national IQ tests to the Logies to mm-hmm. all sorts. And it was a completely new world for me.
1: Just quickly on Steve Quatermain, what was that like to work with him on sports night? I'm with someone who's so experienced um, and
0: talented. Yeah, But he wasn't experienced and talented then. We we're, <laughs> uh, were the two young blokes, so we were mates, yeah. we nightclubs, and, and dinners and things together. And it was a, a huge experience for both of us. Uh, I was at Channel 10 before quarters, just, mm-hmm. and uh, but I was only a cadet, I was only 18 or 19 years of age. And in fact, yep. they needed another another person. And I said, oh, I think this I, met, I met him at the tribunal. So I said, I was like, mm-hmm. oh, the tribunal said to me, okay, he's on the ABC. And Curtis came in and got the job. And so we were we were very close mates mm. through all that period. So it was an excitement. So we would cover the, all the sport on the Sunday, do the news, and then we'd start writing the show with a guy called Steve Pritchard who was producer-editor. And we would do an hour show completely edited, written by us, and produced mm-hmm. and go to 10, 10 o'clock or 10.30 that night, which is almost unheard of to be able to. <laughs> you know, on old-fashioned typewriters as well, it wasn't word. Mm-hmm. Processes or computers or anything else like that, and physical editing. I look back on it now, and it was quite incredible. And mm-hmm. I remember we got paid a thousand bucks, and we thought, "Wow, this unbelievable!" Uh-huh. but anyway, um, Channel Ten made a lot of money out of it, which was good. They made money, they gave us money, and that's how it works. And um, mm-hmm. we, uh, so for us, it was an excitement thing. But uh, yeah, we were we were great mates along the journey. But as I said, it was pretty competitive between he and him and a quarters of myself. You know, mm-hmm. like Bruce McEvoney was in there with us as well and he was a mm. great mentor to us. Bruce was, I think, about 10 or 11 years older than me and was great to me. He really encouraged me in calling the football and supported me every step of the way. And, uh, yeah, so we had a wonderful experience. Great great friends, great mm-hmm. insight, getting to know all the players. And, you know, Dermot became a close friend and all the Collingwood boys. And, yeah, it was mm-hmm. just great fun.
1: How would your role at nine? evolved or developed throughout the years.
0: Well, I started off, you know, coming across to Nine's News and starting mm-hmm. there and then a footy show. I thought it was a done deal. I found out a little bit later it wasn't necessarily a done deal, but mm-hmm. he and, uh, the managing director was pushing it and David Lecky, who was the, uh, the CEO who, who died uh, only yesterday, um, you know, mm-hmm. he said, right, you've got six weeks and he believed in it but wasn't quite sure. So the game was 9 30 Thursday, which was a bit of a graveyard slot. And then we yeah. turned it <laughs> we turned it into the highest rating show on television. Mm-hmm. So it took off from there. So from there, um, you know, the Packers came into my life. Um suddenly, um, you know, instead of just Kerry, you actually got to meet Kerry Packer, um, and then they were, you know, doing your contract. So that mm-hmm. was a, a itself. And suddenly you were, you went from being sort of, you know, a newsroom reporter to mm-hmm. being in TV and then you know what they they classified as a TV star mm-hmm. and, and all that type of thing and the negotiations and that opened up a whole new world. So the business of television became far more important to me. So a lot of people stay on air. What I tried to do was um, I, I learned from the people who were running the show. So I mm-hmm. learned about what sales meant and how it worked and what ratings meant and uh, and and how promotion of yourself within the organisation was as mm-hmm. big a part. is actually doing the show so Mm -hmm. when you hear the word show business it's actually two words it's Mm -hmm. learning show and then I got stuck into learning to do the business Mm -hmm. and that changed and then I was getting advertising for the shows because the more money they made the Mm -hmm. more money I could make which I like the idea of and uh, that's the way we did it I'd hit I'd go pretty hard in my contract negotiations Mm -hmm. and uh, then we'd all hug each other because they were happy for me to stay (laughs) sure they made more money which they were happy about and then the boss would get a bonus and we're all happy at the end of the year and they give you more money and give you more experiences and Mm. basically the way it works and that's why i've always done it on radio and you know i always kept radio going because that promoted the television Mm. shows but it also meant that they didn't have too much control of you as well you had a fallback position and uh so that all built up and as long Mm. as i was prepared to do the work um you know, we're able to get these things going. And as I said, I, I looked at the careers of Graham Kennedy and Bert Newton and all mm-hmm. these people for me and they they were multifaceted in the way they approached it. So, yeah, that was me. And uh, so from there, I learned the business and then ultimately became, I suppose, the, the CEO of the Nine Network mm-hmm. and um, started my own business, which we run to this day called uh, Maguire Media and Jam TV. And mm-hmm. uh, a lot of production and a lot of shows and you know we're, we're right on the cutting edge of things now and that's mm-hmm. what i like doing, inventing ideas
1: can you take me through the first day um of the afl footy show and coming on set um and recording
0: well yeah i remember i was at studio nine which was mm-hmm. a legendary place at channel nine where all the big shows had been all the variety shows and we actually were doing the the old don lane ernie sigley graham kennedy burt newton time slot denise mm-hmm. drysdale and um I was at the back, and a guy called Max Morrison was the uh, the floor manager, and he'd been floor manager on all those shows, mm-hmm. he took it, which is good luck in show business terms. And Sam and I were standing at the back, and Sam looked at me and said, Now, Ed, what do you think we're going to do out here? I said, Mate, let's just make it up. We had no scripts or anything else. I said, mm-hmm. Let's just, Sportsman's not. We had a rundown. They had actually not even sat at the set before. Um, <laughs> and uh, if you actually listen to the very first, episode of the footy show um it breaks into the don lane theme song and Mm -hmm. i started playing tennis which was don lane's signature as an homage to the the shows that went before us Mm -hmm. so that was clearly in our mind Mm -hmm. we were doing a variety show we were not just doing a footy show and as a result of channel seven stopping us from having any vision of football Mm -hmm. it stopped us from being this is a perfect tackle or here's the mark of the day mm. and rehashing what had happened the weekend before. to making us think outside. And what we did is we wanted to do a show about the great things of footy, the personnel, mm-hmm. no coaches, didn't want coaches on. We're sick of hearing from coaches. We want to hear yep. the play. We want to get the play. <laughs> so what mm-hmm. we would do is we'd have one legend player. So the first week I think it was Tim Watson, mm-hmm. um, one character, which was Doug Hawkins, and one young gun like a Stephen mm-hmm. you know. and uh, and and that's the way we did it. And so we had all these different types of guys, different parts of their career. You know, we got on the guys who got into trouble and gave an opportunity to explain themselves. It mm-hmm. <laughs> did, yeah. So we saved careers. You know, Wayne Carey would get himself into trouble, and we would give him an opportunity to explain himself, and then mm-hmm. he was up rehabilitate himself and apologise and you know we played a massive role on the racial vilification situation with Michael Long you know uh, my brother and I helped Longy with his long walk particularly my brother but when he came on the footy show we gave him the right platform because at that mm-hmm. stage ah, oh, they should just cop it what are they complaining about these mm-hmm. players and Longy said no I'm sick of being called a black so-and-so and so and we were able to bring it through so they're important issues um, mm-hmm. age- in football and things like that that we're able to do, as well as the fun. And, of course, the journalism side of it was we broke big stories nearly every week. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so it was much watched television. It was exciting. When you walked out, the crowd would go nuts. We had an audience. And you'd sit down, and if you are about to break a big story, what you could hear was the silence. And you mm-hmm. could almost, not only in the studio, but right around Melbourne, people go, shut up, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> and you're delivering it down the barrel on Channel 9. Wow. Mm-hmm. That was exciting. It was mm-hmm. amazing.
1: Uh, you mentioned Jam TV before. Where did the idea um, or inspiration come from to start up your own TV and broadcasting company?
0: Yeah, it started before I was the CEO. I could see that this was where it was going, that content was going to be a big, big play. And while mm-hmm. I didn't quite understand at the time what the internet would be, I could see there was something there. I started a business mm-hmm. called Sportsview, which actually owned all the internets of the AFL sites of about six mm-hmm. or seven months. Back in the uh, in about 1999-ish, I think it was. It was a while mm-hmm. back now. and uh, so that was forward thinking. And wish I'd have kept, it. it would be worth millions now. But uh, mm-hmm. but we, I think we gave it back to the AFL and to the clubs. So I was always thinking about these different things and and uh, and owning my own production company or building up so that I could develop my own ideas, because it's very mm-hmm. hard things on television. You have a look at a television schedule. There's not too many moving parts, you know. Every night for you know. 15, 12 years or so, 5 o'clock is mm-hmm. hot, 6 o'clock the news, mm-hmm. 6 o'clock is the current affair, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Not too many new shows coming on until late at night. So trying to get in and come up with your own ideas, I thought was the way to go. Mm. And I looked at successful television people over the years, like Reg Grundy, who was able to produce his own shows, and he became mm. a very successful and wealthy entrepreneur right around the world, and people like Mike Willis who went from being a reporter to being a producer of shows. And mm-hmm. to me, that seemed to be the area, you know, even uh, people like Paul Hogan and John Cornell mm-hmm. uh, got their break and then they had their own shows. And I thought, okay, this is the way it's got to go. So uh, we're able to do that. And then, uh, you know, we we're producing shows for radio and television and then for pay TV and now for, you know, the internet and all these mm-hmm. other areas, podcasts, et cetera. And yep. now, for, you know, we did the, the Amazon documentary last year, which was a success. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we're doing more and more of those things. So it's it's good. It, it keeps you busy. It's not only the ideas you have for your own shows, but other ideas and and uh, staying vital in an industry. So you don't get pigeonholed.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I believe you started the show Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? I'm um, now hot seat in 1999. Um, how did that opportunity arise?
0: Well, it was controversial at the time because people said to me, "Oh, you don't want to become a, a quiz show host," as if that mm. was a doubt. I thought, "Well, everyone in television who's done something has had yeah. to be, a quiz <laughs> host. including all those names I've mentioned, from mm-hmm. uh, Bert Newton to uh, you know, uh, Reg Grundy was a quiz show host and he became the quiz show owner and king and uh, billionaire. Mm-hmm. And uh, quiz shows weren't worrying me, but I, I wanted to get more into the show business side of it. The show bro- uh, opened up in England and. Um, mm. We'd heard a bit of a buzz about it, that this show was was unbelievable. Yeah. And I knew that there were a lot of people at Channel Nine, the big stars at the time. I was only a silver mm-hmm. performer and probably known more in Melbourne and, and didn't have as big a national profile. Mm-hmm. So they asked me if I'd consider it. And they came <laughs> and considered it, or I considered it on the way in the, to the meeting. And I was there the next day at seven in the morning to make sure no one got in before me in case they'd mm-hmm. asked. And I said, yeah, away we go. I just thought it was a brilliant concept. And uh, it was the highest-rating show on television, uh, mm-hmm. the most successful quiz show in, in the history of TV around the world. You know, they had a, a movie, Slumdog Millionaire, on the back of it, which won the Academy mm-hmm. Award. And now, you know, hot Seat* itself has, has uh, you know, been dominant for the last 12 years and continues mm-hmm. to be great. So, yeah, that was a, that was a huge, huge gift Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it wasn't one I invented. That was just one that came my way and I was able to host and, and be the face of in Australia. And, you know, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Still 5 o'clock every night, I'm still doing it. And, mm-hmm. it's, you know, my company produces it. So, you know, we've gone on to do other things with it as well. But it's uh, it has been a gift from God, that one that's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I love it. And every time I sit there doing it and we churn out six shows, seven shows a day these days, mm-hmm. every person comes on as important because it's their opportunity but it's been wonderful for me in my career. Yeah, I love
1: it. What's that like? I mean, I remember watching the uh, – I still watch the show and I remember watching it sitting back in my grandparents' um, uh, uh, living room after school um, every day. They used to pick us up and having something to eat or some chips or something, watching you um, on Hot Seat Quiz, all these people. What's it like to sit down, and you know, that you have to kick people off and then see people win money?
0: Well, Max, I don't have to kick them off. They get it wrong, so they kick it <laughs> Yeah. <away. So. laughs> I look at the positive. I'm giving somebody the chance. But mm-hmm. your story, Max, is exactly what I love about the show. And I've mm-hmm. now had that for generations. I mean, I've been doing this show a lot longer than you've been on this earth and now yeah. you <laughs> But with your grandparents and you know, I was only a young bloke when I when I started doing it. I was only, what was it? I was That's oh, it? 30, 30, what was it? 1999. So I was about 34. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was a great start for me.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: And now there's, you know, the generations of people have watched it. And I get a lot of people coming on now who say I used to watch it with my grandparents and now Mm -hmm. my granddad's uh, passed away and he used to love it and used to want me to go on and now I'm doing it. And uh, it's become a rite of passage. Mm -hmm. And you're right, five o'clock before the news, people are home, home from school, cooking Mm -hmm. dinner, playing along. And, uh, you know, a lot of older people like it because it keeps them mentally stimulated Mm -hmm. and they of it and a lot of young people like yourself are watching it hoping mm. to get the answers. Yeah you got four to pick from you can mm. have a bit of a guess can't you? It's not like mm. you have to know the answer. You can try and figure it out. Yeah. And uh, we always love yelling at the people who don't know the answers. Yeah uh, even though I'm trying to help them mm. <laughs> and people love that as well. So yeah mm. it's your story is the story that makes it really happy for me to continue being part of the show.
1: Um, now, you mentioned becoming the CEO of, uh, of Channel 9 in 2006. Um, I understand you had to not be on on um, the AFL footy show or commentate games or host Who Wants to Be a Millionaire for that role. Um, In what was the sort of short-term tenure as CEO, how did you find your time um, in that role?
0: Well, I, I was there for two years and the role changed because mm-hmm. I went up to become the CEO mm-hmm. to build the business and build the production mm-hmm. side based on what I was doing with Maguire Media and Jam TV mm-hmm. and beyond it then suddenly out of nowhere, we got made a, a massive offer to buy it and mm. James Backup was reading that uh, media was going to fragment and we were able to sell it for five and a half billion dollars. Wow. Uh, <laughs> it, may, I think it might have been worth two and we got mm. five and a half. So we um, we decided that was a good deal and uh, mm. it, was, it was as good a deal in the media probably that's ever been done. Um So that changed things completely. So then it went from being a Growth industry at Channel Nine to grow the business into mm-hmm. cutting costs and things. That was really wasn't my caper, so um, so I did that for two years, and then I uh, I missed being on air. There was no doubt about mm-hmm. it because I realised that's what I do. That's, mm-hmm. that's what I'm good at, and that's that's what I do. Yeah, um, business side of it is something I really love as well, and that's why I've been able to continue with my own business. And don't forget, mm-hmm. I was you know Hollywood at that stage as well, which is a mm-hmm. Was a, was a small business, it became a big business. So I loved doing all those things. I sat on boards, um, so I had mm-hmm. a lot going on in my life. Um, so I was busy when I was up there for the for the two years that I was the CEO, we sold mm-hmm. it. And then uh, I made a decision that uh, I'd get out of that and uh, and do something else.
1: Um, Triple M's hot breakfast began in 2009 with yourself and Luke Darcy I'm on the radio. Right can you expand on your experience um, and the differences you notice um, between uh, TV hosting and radio hosting? Obviously, you know, radio setting and environment, being a bit more relaxed, you know, you can wear what you want and things like that.
0: <laughs> well, I wore a suit anyway, so I didn't wear a mask <laughs> because uh, I always went to work straight after. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I'd be doing crosses to the Today Show, and it was these mm-hmm. days, podcasts and and Zoom like this one as well. So, mm-hmm. um, so for me... Um, I always loved the radio. I was lucky enough to do breakfast radio for about 12 years Mm -hmm. before all this with uh, Richard Stubbs Breakfast Show and the D-Generation with uh, the Working Dog Team. And Mm -hmm. still today, Rob Sitch and Jane Kennedy are two of our closest friends. So we built great friendships. And then uh, 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 this comedian by the name of Mick Malloy came on and we became Mm -hmm. great friends. And Later on, he would come on and be my partner with Luke Darcy on The Hot Breakfast. Um, So I did radio for a long time. And as I said, we are able to... Um, start Triple N football, which was a, a big play. And then mm-hmm. I did a show with Bridget duclo and Dermot Brereton, my own show, which was mm-hmm. a top rating show. And so we had a lot of success on the radio. And radio actually pays very well um, as well, which is something that I liked. <laughs> mm. <laughs> mentioning to you. So if you can do something you like and get paid well for it, it's a, it's a really good experience.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: so the radio was always there. And Triple N, because it was the younger style of radio, station it gave you an opportunity to do things a bit differently as well mm-hmm. so i could buy uh, where i thought things were going now i started at triple m when i was 21 or 22 years of age mm-hmm. uh, so i was in there early and that as i said that helped me promote the segment i did on channel 10 in those days called doing the route so mm-hmm. i'll sort of go back to there for a second so what happened i kept getting these offers from seven and nine and to keep me they gave me my own segment which was the first on on tv news to mm-hmm. have and I'll tell you a quick little story. Um, I wasn't getting paid that much in those days. they get, they giving me a pay increase and things, and I was mm-hmm. going, okay. But I used to think there was other reporters at Channel mm-hmm. 10 who paid more than me who went <laughs> the amount of work I was doing. And and I was promoting it on the, the radio and things like that. So mm-hmm. what I was able to do was supplement, you know, uh, what I was getting paid on Channel 10 with mm-hmm. what I was on Triple M, and I started to make some reasonable money. So... But what I did was I was promoting myself. And a good friend of mine used to buy advertising on Channel 10. And mm-hmm. I said to him one day, I'm getting sick of this. I'm doing it. <laughs> These other people are getting more money than me. He said, I oh, know. Mm-hmm. He said, Think mm-hmm. you this, I pay $10,000 to get a 30-second ad on before you come on. <laughs> Expensive ad on the whole of Channel 10. Mm-hmm. No, I didn't. This is when I realized I had to learn about the business. He mm-hmm. said, right, okay. Okay, you know, it's unbelievable. They're Mm -hmm. paying me with one ad, you know, Mm -hmm. basically in a week, not even Mm -hmm. that, half a week, three days. (laughs) They're they're, they're really doing well out of me. So I I worked out, and what he said was was quite true. He said, Don't think of it as what they're paying you, think about how much exposure they're giving you. Mm
1: -hmm. So then
0: I did that, and I was doing about six, seven, eight minutes a night, and I Mm -hmm. multiplied that by sort of 10,000 times two. This, this is good exposure. So yeah. from that point on, I didn't ever work for anybody again. I worked for myself and used their exposure and got paid by them to promote what I was doing and at the same time to deliver their money and ratings, and that's the name of the game. So yeah. fast forward back to the radio again, um, It's the same thing. So when I when I came back from Sydney, um, Triple M's ratings were were pretty low and yeah. they, came, they said, do you want to have a crack at doing it? And I said, yeah, I want to do it, but I want to do this style of show. And mm-hmm. we were back at the number one FM and it uh, was very, very successful for another 12 years. So all up for somebody who doesn't really like getting up early in the morning, <laughs> so all 30 in the morning for about 25 or 26 years mm-hmm. and with another six in between calling football, doing drive and a couple of years in between where I wasn't doing radio. Yep. So it's been great. It's been really great. And I love working with Mick Malloy and Will Anderson and uh, Luke Darcy and we've had other people on the show. Yeah. <laughs> people but they were the main people and it was it was great fun I loved it um over the years
1: you've hosted sort of multiple tv shows that have eventually got cancelled how do you ra- react um in these situations when um you've got to bounce back in this difficulty
0: well I haven't that many to be honest um you know we do some of them some of them are shows that are only going to have a short run so we did a show mm-hmm. called this is 100 mm-hmm. and uh, that, that did really really well for, for the year and, but it was always going to be a show that was uh, a bit more gimmicky, mm-hmm. as opposed to Hot Seat, which is a generational show. Mm-hmm. Millionaire's generational show. Um, other shows. Sometimes you're at the mercy of um, the time slot. Sometimes you're mm-hmm. at the mercy of programmers who you know react a bit too quickly. Some shows, you know, mm-hmm. you look at Have You Been Paying Attention? is a good a good example. Didn't rate for the first year, probably because Channel Ten didn't have anything else to put on. They kept mm-hmm. going. Now, <laughs> Now it's one of the most successful shows in television. And that's mm-hmm. why, you know, from Working Dog and Channel 10, realising that these people are really smart sometimes mm-hmm. with people. But, you know, shows been cancelled, it's it's like anything in life. Uh, you don't worry about failure. If you have mm-hmm. got a fear of failure all the time, you'll never do anything. If people would still be living in a cave, if mm-hmm. people didn't say, come on, let's step outside and see what's going on.
1: So mm-hmm. you learn
0: from them. Sometimes a lot of shows you do might be a year two three years ahead of their time you mm-hmm. might be ahead of the, the curve on things so there's there's learning experiences from things but oh no you don't worry about things like that i mean people in the media love always to have the headline sacked axed mm-hmm. cancelled it's a big headline um yeah. people love all that sort of stuff but when you're in the business you understand what the business is and uh you know mm-hmm. you know people like Darren hinch's Darren hinch for example mm-hmm. i think he's 25 times he says it uh, I think he makes up the numbers sometimes. He <laughs> but he's been a brilliant broadcaster over, mm-hmm. oh, geez, he's been broadcasting there for probably 60, 70 years. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he started as a young man as well in newspapers. But, you know, there's, there's no there's no effort without failing up as the man mm-hmm. in the arena, uh, the speech by uh, Theodore Roosevelt, which ends with the lines, so that you shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know mm-hmm. Victory nor defeat. So sometimes to enjoy the victories, you've got to cop a beating every now and again as well, just to realize it. So mm-hmm. the key thing that I want to say to you, Max, is this you'll always have critics. Mm-hmm. You'll always have people who want to have a go at you. You'll mm-hmm. have these in your life, you'll have people who go after you, and the media do that to me at times. And you know, when I was a kid growing up, I used to be you know, scared walking to school because mm-hmm. you know, pretty tough area, broad meadows, mm-hmm. and then you school. And I thought they'd throw rose mm-hmm. petals in front of me every time I had success. What I realised was every time I have a success, there are people who don't like that. Mm-hmm. And you go past one group and you're going successful and they don't like you. Then you go again and a bit further on, they, they tell everyone they went to school with you and uh, mm-hmm. you know, they proud of you and things like that. It's, it's human nature for mm-hmm. people who want to have a go at you if you've got some some go. So what you have to do is you have to realise that you have to set your own goals and you have to be determined and mm-hmm. listen to the critics because sometimes they tell you things that you don't want to hear that you might need to hear. Mm-hmm. But don't be bowed by them. There's always in life, if you're going to do anything in life, people who will criticize you. You will never get a free run. You're mm-hmm. always be criticized. Don't forget to be prime minister of the country. You generally got 51, 52% of the population, which means 49 or 48 of the population didn't vote
1: yeah.
0: for it. <laughs> Okay. So mm-hmm. that's always the case. Now, you know what, you can you can do well out of people not agreeing with you as well. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's a lot of shows that people watch because they don't like the host or disagree with the host mm-hmm. or want to have a fight with the host. That's part of life as well. Mm-hmm. But don't ever be don't ever be bowed by people criticizing you or having a go at you or things like that. That is a given. Mm-hmm. What you've got to learn is the mechanisms on how to rise from that, how to maneuver yourself around things. And then how to make the most of your situation, mm-hmm. and that's what I've done all my life, every single day of my life, from grade five onwards, or even mm-hmm. even before that, I've had to take on people who are there every day to have a whack at me. Mm-hmm. So even when you're you <laughs> your, your most successful, people mm-hmm. are there go. Okay? and people don't want to believe things. You know, they 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 you, they ask you your opinion on things. You tell them honestly what happened, but mm-hmm. they want to. Different way, you can't be in control of what other people say about you, mm-hmm. and it's all about what you believe of yourself. Be a good person, do the right thing, pay your taxes, do all that. <laughs> you can sleep at night and have a go. And uh, mm-hmm. as Theodore Roosevelt said, so that you shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. Mm-hmm. The Shakespearean line out of Julius Caesar that I always like as well, and that says, there is a tide in the affairs of men which, taken at the flood, leads on to fortune, omitted mm-hmm. all the voids of their life is left wallowing in shallows and miseries. And what that means is when you get your chance, in and take it. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about it. Take no prisoners. Go your hardest. People mm-hmm. will tell you every single time. Everything I've ever done, I've been told you can't do. Mm-hmm. When, I was <laughs> kid, when I was a kid, how can you be writing papers? You're only 13 years of age. Okay. How can you? I remember being told, "What? What are you going to uh, TV for? You haven't got a voice. A television mm-hmm. Radio? You haven't got a you haven't got a radio voice." When I was going to Channel Ten and the radio, you can't do radio and do news at the same time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> channel Nine, they'll chew you up and spit you out. Mm-hmm. You can't do a television show about football. No, no show ever has rated in prime time about sport. Then the show won't work because you're not allowed to have any vision of football. When mm. mm-hmm. we go again, don't, <laughs> be don't be the CEO. Don't be that you can't be the president of Collingwood and be on the television at the same time. Blah blah blah. blah. Every single thing I've been told in life is you can't, and mm-hmm. still to this day I get told I can't do things. And you mm-hmm. know, sometimes they're right. Sometimes I can't do them. <laughs> I'm not going to die in a ditch wondering whether or not I should have had a go or not. So I'm all about mm-hmm. having, having a go. But Max. For you and your listeners and your, and your viewers today, don't ever let people get on top of you. Yeah. Don't let negativity hold you back. Have an open heart. Don't be frightened of failure. In fact, mm-hmm. quite the, look for success.
1: Mm-hmm. Look for,
0: most people look at things as an opportunity to fail, as instead of an opportunity to succeed. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, getting ideas to actually go is is success in its own right getting them to work is the mm. ultimate success, and they don't always work. But, you know, mm. it's fun trying. Um, in
1: 2012, you arrived at Fox Footy as a commentator um, in, in sort of a panellist role. Can you elaborate on what it's like, um, that was like for you starting out at Fox, maintaining roles also at Channel 9 um, with Who Wants to Be a Millionaire and sort of hot seat in the Olympic coverage?
0: Yeah, so there was a bit going on, wasn't there? So yeah, um, <laughs> I thought at that stage, I thought... Uh, PTV was where sports was heading and mm-hmm. and they wanted to get, you know, their their words, a big name mm-hmm. to show that this was where it was all going. Nine, of, I'd called the footy on Channel 9, which was, I was part of, you know, the negotiations with that, which was a really good uh, period where I got to, uh, you know, work with James Packer and Kerry Packer and Ian Johnson and the likes mm-hmm. there doing all those deals. And that's where I really got an insight into how you really do big deals and Sam Chisholm at the end um, and, and things like that. And I, so that's where I think they sort of thought I might have had an opportunity to be a business person as well as an on-air person. Mm-hmm. So um, so the footy was there very much. So the, the, the Olympic Games came. Um, and I suppose what was good about hosting that was in the first instance, it was my idea to go after those Olympic Games. Mm-hmm. When I was of nine, we had a special task force a secret task force with a guy called Gary Fenton, who was the most successful uh, executive, television executive in Australia when it came to the Olympics. A guy called Jeff Brown, who I brought with me to Sydney, who became the managing director, who's now hoping to be the president of Hollywood. Um, and then we brought in as our partners, Foxtel, Kim Williams, mm-hmm. and, uh, and a, a guy, Patrick Delaney. And then when I left, they continued with this. And David mm-hmm. Ginge came on, Ginge, sensational executive in television, and they were able to close the deal, and it was great. They closed the deal over, I think they might have been in Geneva, and they rang me mm-hmm. at three in the morning, and woke me up, and they said, "The good news is Operation uh, F, which is what we called it for Gary Fenton, has been mm. successful." And the good news <laughs> is, we want you to host it, and we we're going to London and Vancouver. It was fantastic. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I went to Foxtel, and that was a, a pure sports play, if you like. Um, we had other mm-hmm. ideas, we could build a lot more television shows into that but uh, that didn't happen in that period we we're going to do like a big footy show mm-hmm. um ultimately that didn't happen but you know calling the footy and hosting the footy and doing various shows hosting mm-hmm. the boxing i did a show called uh, eddie Maguire tonight emt mm-hmm. which was i look back on now and was was actually super successful mm-hmm. in, in what we did with all that type of thing and mm-hmm. uh it's been great yeah so <laughs>
1: Um, now, Fox Footy commentating. Can you expand on your sort of entire um, entirety of your time at Fox?
0: Oh, well, just well, calling the footy. As I said, I started calling the footy mm-hmm. on the VFA at Channel Ten when I was, uh, I think, I was about nineteen or twenty years of age. The first game I ever called of uh, VFL AFL was the Battle of Britain game where was the King hit Stuart A, that big game over there, and Bruce McEvany and I both ended up on the front page of the Guardian. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Little did I know that was the start of things to come, being on the front page. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we, our games, the first games we called were in Vancouver, London, Vancouver, and then Tokyo, which is quite mm-hmm. incredible. And then my first next game, I called the VFA, and then my next game of calling football was I got a call-up in grand final week to call the grand final of 1990. So my life ambition of calling a Collingwood president came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh and the irony of that was that my family broke Essendon, so always when I was calling premierships for Collingwood in the backyard it was against Essendon <laughs> I called one game it was the Collingwood premiership and then that opened up I did uh, some community football calling just to to build my skills mm-hmm. and uh and I used to do a lot of sportsman's nights and charity nights so that I learned how to stand in front of an audience and and learnt and learned so you do them for free and Mm-hmm. a lot of flying hours and then ultimately we started triple n football and then channel nine which I think was the the best coverage of football that's ever happened mm-hmm. ever it was unbelievable the way we used to cover it, it was it was just a healthy and golden era mm-hmm. and now, <laughs> it's fantastic you know we it, mm-hmm. it's a designated footy station so we mm-hmm. I love that so yeah it's been a wonderful experience calling a footy and I've you know I'm so lucky in that I, I've been able to call sports host sports Mm-hmm. Host major events, host elections, you know, um uh, you know we went over with the hot breakfast and hosted the the Trump election. you know mm-hmm. the uh, uh, Joe Hockey's uh, office, the ambassador Australian ambassador to the United States with all these people in mm-hmm. Washington. you know I've been so lucky to, to be involved in so many different things. so yeah it's been an exciting and fulfilling life so far.
1: What do you enjoy most about hosting those events like the Trump election and things like that?
0: Just being there,
1: mm-hmm. being
0: right in amongst it, seeing it firsthand, uh, being able to bring and paint a word picture for people back here in Melbourne, mm-hmm. what's going on, how it feels. Um, I love the analysis, working through where things might go to, trying mm-hmm. to play the role. You know, what I try to do these days, tonight on Footy Classified, is to explain, you know, what it was like last year being in the War Council, keeping the AFL going with mm-hmm. people like Auckland and you know the other presidents who were involved in it you know this year I said we should have started early and we should have had mm-hmm. a footy frenzy we should have played 17 games now that's turned out that would have been a smart idea but that doesn't <laughs> mean, that doesn't mean it wasn't a wrong idea what they did mm-hmm. but now we've got to get into the next stage so now tonight we want to talk about okay again if I was running the place how would we do it where would mm-hmm. we go from here so that's the thing I like to know it's it's I love a battle of ideas mm-hmm. I like challenge of coming up with ideas thinking of things that haven't happened before yeah. you know how to go about doing things you know i've been pushing for for shorter quarters for a long long time you know i mm-hmm. still think revolutionise the way we umpire the game um you know i still think that we should be um you know playing the game in a different way as far as uh, tv's concerned you've got to get the money in okay mm-hmm. people now want to watch it more at home in times where they want to watch it. So weekends mm-hmm. on a Saturday afternoon, I think Thursday night's the, clock, the place for footy these days. Mm-hmm. So, you yeah, know there's all that type of thing. So Max, that's what it's all about. As you can tell, I still get excited every day about mm-hmm. ideas and trying to make things happen.
1: Um, In 2018, you announced um, that in the the year following that in 2019, that the footy show would take up sort of a new format of the show with new hosts. Um, Just the year in 2017, you returned to the show. What was that like and how did that decision approach um, to, you know, try and revamp the show? Uh,
0: We tried to revamp it, but in the end, there were a few restrictions on what we wanted to do and it wasn't the show that I wanted to come back and do in the end. Mm -hmm. So then decided was that, look... The 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 world had changed, Um, you know. There had been a lot more. uh, I mean, the the term woke comes into play, Mm -hmm. and a lot of that. You know, people like Sam Newman who used to, you know, have be able to have a sense of humour at that. Different things Mm -hmm. that uh, had been cancelled Mm -hmm. uh, in a lot of ways. So then, you know, nine to so we'll have one last roll of the dice, and we will try, you know, an ensemble, and Mm -hmm. it it didn't captivate people. Uh, You know, irony is that. Mick his team are doing uh, a great show called Front Bar, which in mm-hmm. a lot of ways the old gags of the Footy Show, mm-hmm. um, with with their own spin. I'm not saying they copied the Footy Show, yeah. but <laughs> it's got more of a feel of the old Footy Show than it does in anything else. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think at that stage, look, after 25 years, people just wanted wanted to to, to kill it off, mm-hmm. and you know, Nine also were keen to to use the money. It was a reasonably expensive show in the end to uh, to produce. So, yeah, so it just changed and it's time it come and finish. So that was it. We, we pulled the curtain down on it. And as a result of that, now we have Wednesday classified and mm-hmm. Monday classified and the Sunday footy show. So Nine still has these major shows you know, mm-hmm. in prime time that are doing really well. Different format, different cost base to what the footy show was, but still mm. delivering ratings and still delivering influence and still delivering all the things that we, we wanted out of those shows but just taking a different way. So that's the thing, next Nothing lasts forever. It's mm-hmm. about adapting. You know, Darwin's theory of uh, evolution is not the survival of the fittest. It's who adapts fastest survives. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's all about in the media.
1: Um, sort of after trying to revive the show and then announcing that it was sort of over, you guys did a, um, a sort of a grand final, a footy show farewell um, with you, self, Sam Newman, um, Marmalade, and Rebecca Madden. Um, can you guide me through that evening um, from your perspective?
0: Well, going right back uh, when we first did the show at the Rod Laver Arena, again, people were didn't want to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were just on a wave of uh, of confidence and success. Mm-hmm. And we just, I just, Sam and I and Trev and you know the, the team at that stage, we just wanted to do things big. So mm-hmm. we took it to London and we did it at the Theatre Royal. And I tell you a funny story: the the network were a bit. Uh, one of the executives were a bit dodgy about it and fearful that it would cost too much money. And I put mm. my credit card down and said, I'll underwrite it. <laughs> and uh, we we put a little ad in the papers in England. Mm. And there used to be a paper for Australians that used to hand out for free. Anyway, mm. they opened, they opened the, uh, the sales the next day and you had to actually go and buy a ticket. And it sold mm. out as quickly as they could sell the tickets. And they rang up and said, can you do a whole season here? Uh, <laughs> We said, no, it's not that type of show. And it was a smash hit and it was unbelievable. Still, you know, the the grand final footy show, the first one, all of them, to be honest, but the first one when we walked out and the place was jumping. And then we Mm -hmm. did the one in London and then we did one in uh, two in London, another one in Munich, were unbelievable. They were just Mm -hmm. shows that I'll never forget and people won't do, I don't think, going forward. They're just, Mm -hmm. Um, so we're always about pushing the envelope. And then, you know, to do the last one again at Rod was It was a, it was a mm-hmm. great thing, through the roof, packed house, mm-hmm. um, everything was great. Sam was in great form and we were able to do it and getting Trev back to for one last go was a nice full stop on the whole thing.
1: Um, I read last year that um, you debuted a TV show for America named Aussie Football Rules America with Eddie Maguire. Where did the inspiration um, for that show come about?
0: Well, I thought that uh, a couple of things. One. There's an American executive called Scott Greenstein at SiriusXM, um, and he is an American who loves footy. And mm-hmm. uh, he knew about me, and we talked about uh, different projects. And uh, so we've got a few projects that we're working on at the moment. So it's, again, about uh, these situations. Also, for me, I, I could see that uh, betting was coming, becoming very big in America. Up until mm-hmm. this year, you could only sports bet out of Las Vegas and Nevada. Now it's going right around. It's going to become bigger and bigger. And at that stage, mm-hmm. uh, it looked like Australian rules football might be one of the few uh, sports in the world to keep going. And mm-hmm. the first we did it, it, it went through the roof. Now, sadly, we had to have six weeks off and then uh, the Americans got the NBA into the bubble, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But we <laughs> thought that there was a there was an opportunity to give an Australian show into America, and it did very, very well. At the same time, we are able to get the game of the round onto Sirius XM. Mm-hmm. And also, we able to push to get the uh, the vision of the game of the round back onto ESPN, um, and uh, also onto Fox Footy, uh, well, not Fox footy, Fox Soccer in America. Mm-hmm. So suddenly, we went from having it just sort of an obscure uh, television station on Fox Soccer to ESPN prime time mm-hmm. and on radio. So we found that there was another audience out there, and so that was really good fun.
1: Um now you were president of the Collingwood Football Club from 1988 until earlier this year, oh, sorry 1998 um, until earlier this year. Um you've seen a premiership in 2010 um a grand final appearances how do you reflect on your time at Collingwood and how did you um first of all sort of earn that role?
0: Well, it was one of those things uh, Collingwood was in a bad way at that stage and I had no aspirations whatsoever of being the president of the Collingwood Football Club, mm-hmm. didn't fit anything I was doing as far as my career was concerned. But sometimes these jobs choose you, you don't get to choose them. And uh, I was fearful at that stage that the AFL were trying to merge teams and Collingwood was starting to, you know, as big as Collingwood had been and was, um, was starting to nosedive and was starting to lose confidence and, you know, uh, know, the Victoria Park was falling apart and it was lost its way and the great people at the club but we just needed to maybe have a a new thought process in Mm -hmm. it. So I was only a young guy. I look back now and think, God, what, what was I thinking? <laughs> a bit bold to do what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, but we got in there and got stuck into it. And with, I'd like to think that um, I've played a, a role in what we did on the footy show. The foot, don't forget mm-hmm. football that broke in the early 90s. And we turned it into primetime television at a time. In 87, none of the none of the freeway stations wanted to have footy. Ended up being mm-hmm. on the AFC uh, more out of uh, a charity than anything else, mm-hmm. and footy was in big trouble. And we were able to get in there, and suddenly players became personalities in their own right again. Um, player managers, hardly any player managers in those days. Craig Kelly was on the show, he was a centre back for Collingwood, and Ricky Nixon mm-hmm. was a teacher at Kerry uh, Grammont. And suddenly, all these things started to go, and we played a, a, a huge role in that. And then, you know, hopefully, my time at Collingwood saw us. Look at you know, becoming big international brands. Mm. Uh, being a, a you know a dying local entity, suddenly the MCG was our home ground. We built the Holden Centre, what is now the Holden Centre, the Lexus Centre. Mm. Back in you know uh, major international sponsors. Um, mm. You know first team to make a million dollar profit, and uh, suddenly you know no one wanted. In two thousand, no one wanted to play on Friday nights, and I said, we'll play on Friday nights. <laughs> Friday mm-hmm. nights, and uh, mm-hmm. so we looked at it more from. I looked at it more as mm-hmm. a yeah you know, great love for the game of football, mm-hmm. but where it needed to end with a with the combination of of business and show mm-hmm. business and media. I could see media was where it was all going to go. Yeah, and like, well, <laughs> in the middle of it, you know, I'm talking to you know to the Packers and to David Lecky and Ian Johnson, and working mm-hmm. on these things day in day out. Whereas once upon a time it would have been about how many pies could you sell, or or jumpers in the souvenir store. I was coming mm-hmm. in from a different point of view from where our sponsorships were and primetime exposure on the footy show, mm-hmm. which was ahead of time. So, um, yeah, that's. I'd like to think that uh, in some way I played a role in changing football, VFL football, from being a local Melbourne-only Saturday afternoon game with one game on a Sunday in Sydney mm-hmm. to uh, playing a role in turning into the biggest sport in Australia with a lot of other people. Don't yeah. play, <laughs> play. But uh, I'd like to think i played a, an, an entrepreneurial role in, in doing that and then subsequently, you know, supporting women's football and women's sport. You know, Collingwood mm-hmm. is now being a you know a pretty blue-collar male-only uh, show to having his mm-hmm. The women's split having women's netball and women's football and charitable organizations and the magpie nest and all these types of things, which made us more than just a footy team.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, we recently had Craig Hutchison on the podcast um as our fifth sort of fiftieth episode. What's it like to work um on footy classified with him?
0: Well, I don't work with him. Um he does Monday and I do Wednesday. But, oh. so we, do, <laughs> but we produce the show, but uh, mm-hmm. No, but Hutchie's a great success story. And, uh, I mean, I, I always watch Hutchie with great affection. Um, you know, he's, he's his own man and he's mm-hmm. a bit of a, he could be <laughs> a But he was a great reporter. And when he was a young bloke coming through, I'd like mm-hmm. to think I uh, offered uh, the hand of friendship to him a couple of times. One time I watched him on Channel 10 News and he looked like a drowned rat. He was out <laughs> of It was raining. And I thought he did a great story. And I rang him up and I said, congratulations, that was a good story. And he said, oh, I've just had the boss, you know, give me a, a, a belting for didn't like the way the story was. <laughs> I said, what are you doing now? And I invited him around for dinner mm-hmm. and he came around. And I said, go upstairs and have a shower. And gave him one of my tracksuits, suits and he came down. <laughs> my wife, Carla, cooked him. Mm-hmm. But I always thought uh, Hachi had, you know, uh, a lot of guts. far. You know, he went to America and he went down a different road, for, mm-hmm. completely different road for me. And But he was always playing a bigger game and I thought, you know, from a young bloke from the country who came up and took them on you know i think it's great and i think what he's doing now is is sensational and mm-hmm. i wish yes, I, I am i, I genuinely uh proud of him and i actually hired him onto channel nine mm-hmm. and then ultimately you know you know my organization produces the monday night show so technically he does work with my organization but mm-hmm. nahji's no, a, a, a a fantastic success story and you know, i wish him well and i think he i think he does a great thing.
1: Um, now, have you got any advice for any aspiring um, sports media talents out there who want to get to the next level um, and get into broadcasting and commentating and then sports TV and radio?
0: Yeah, so the first one I'll say is this. Everybody, it seems, who dreams like you, Max, of being involved in this caper, get into the business for about 10 minutes and then they become jaded. Mm-hmm. And they, oh, we don't get the story or the OFLs and they whinge and moan and bitch and carry on, okay? Mm-hmm. So the first thing is you make your own luck. Okay, Gary mm-hmm. players. The harder I work, the luckier I get. That rings true. Okay, so don't just fall in line with everybody else. Be excited. Look at what's going on around the world. You know that's where, mm-hmm. and I suppose myself, to, to a degree, have have maybe had the jump on people. And we always look at what's possible, not what's impossible. Mm-hmm. So that's what a beat, you know. Ask what was the, the George Bernard Shaw line of, uh, ask not what to, you can do. For your mm. country. Oh, sorry. No, so I'll take that back. That was John F. Kimminson asked not what you can do for your country, but what not, not ask what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. But George Bernard mm. Shaw also said some people see things that are and ask why, other people see things that have never been and ask why not.
1: Mm. And
0: that was read out at the funeral for Robert Kennedy, but it was by George Bernard Shaw, and that always struck me look for mm. what people think is impossible and make it possible. Mm-hmm. You know, Jeff Bezos flew his own rocket <laughs> this morning. How unreal is that? Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. And everyone said, don't do it. It's too expensive. It's a folly. Who knows what comes of it because he's done that now. Uh, so that's what it is. So a lot of people, every time the media changes, when I started it when I was 18 at Channel 10, everyone said, oh, you've missed the golden era. Right? And mm-hmm. every time, every year after the last year was the best year. and uh, It's all changed now. And it's mm-hmm. a great, The fact that you, Max, can interview me on Zoom. Mm-hmm. I remember when I started, we were lucky if we could get a signal out of footy training. To mm-hmm. do a live <laughs> seriously, to do a live cross, we used to have to bounce the signal at Hawthorne off a tin shed that used to hit the transmitter up in the It was mm-hmm. That's how rudimentary it was. Now we're doing a Zoom call. So, yeah, the world changes, and it is what you make of it. I mean, mm-hmm. let's not forget... In the period I've been at Channel, you know, a reporter, the internet, I, I watched the first fax machine work at Channel 10 and couldn't believe it. Oh. Right? And I remember then they brought in the computers to bring it, you know, and got rid of the mm. typewriters. And we thought, oh, how's this going to work? This will never this will never work. All this does mm. Now, <laughs> You know, technology is just unbelievable. And 5G is going to take it to a whole mm. new level again. So it's amazing.
1: Thanks, Eddie, for coming on the podcast today and putting aside i an hour or so of your time to come on and have a chat. It's been an absolute privilege and an hour, like I mentioned earlier.
0: Well, Max, I hope uh, one day i look back and say I'm glad I spoke to young Max Becker because he's become a superstar. I want to congratulate you, the way you've presented yourself this morning, your research and your questioning has been absolutely first class. I couldn't have uh, been interviewed by a senior reporter in a better way. <laughs> In fact, I've had plenty of senior reporters do a far worse job than what you have. I Seriously, mm-hmm. I give you 10 out of 10 for what you've done today and I wish you all the best with everything you're doing. Congratulations, mate, and keep a single-minded approach to where you want to go. and Don't ever let anybody tell you you can't, okay? Mm-hmm. You've got uh, everything you need to be a success in life and I wish you all the best and I hope to catch up with you again soon. All
1: uh, right, thanks, Eddie. Stay tuned, everyone, for some more Sporting Max.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Sporting Max. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify or YouTube and be sure to follow our socials. This episode is brought to you by The Missing Link. This is The Voice of Melbourne and we'll see you back here real soon for another episode of Sporting Max.